There was a bit of good news this past week with respect to health care spending in the U.S. As reported by the New York Times and some other news outlets, looking at data from 2009 and 2010, the growth rate has slowed or flattened out. Yes, say the experts, the recession played a role with, and, uh, with many people delaying or foregoing medical services. But what's intriguing is that these same experts say that two years in a row of less than 4% growth cannot only be due to the recession. Other factors are bending the cost curve ever so much. So maybe, just maybe, this can embolden all healthcare improvers everywhere to keep the faith, be bold, and reach for new solutions, such as those embodied in the triple aim. And we hope you find some good reasons why on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, offered bi-weekly and also for your later listening and convenience via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. We have guests in the studio today and guests on the phone. They are all part of a grand and noble experiment to fundamentally change healthcare as we know it, anchored largely by the Triple Aim. Their stories have been captured in a new book called Pursuing the Triple Aim. So a couple of things right at the top. Because we have a full house, WIHI is extended by 30 minutes today. Uh, Easter, if we're talking Eastern time, that means we'll be going until 3.30. We hope you can stick around or perhaps hand it off uh, to a colleague. We'll keep track of all the resources referenced on the program as we always do, but a reminder that there's info about this book on the homepage of IHI.org right now and a link to a section chock full of resources already. So please check that out at your convenience. You can also find information if you're curious about ordering the book at a 20% discount. This WIHI program and all its resources will be available in an archive version like all the other WIHIs by tomorrow morning on IHI.org. So let's get started. The full title of the book is Pursuing the Triple Aim, Seven Innovators Show the Way to Better Care, Better Health, and Lower Costs, published in April by Jossie Bass, an imprint of Wiley Publishing. The co-authors are, are Maureen Visignano, IHI President and CEO, who will be joining us by phone in about uh, five minutes or so, and from the state of Washington, where she's been attending a CEO and trustee summit organized by the Washington State Hospital Association. Here in the studio with me is co-author Charlie Kenny, noted healthcare journalist and author now of some 10 books, Charlie, now including Pursuing the Triple Aim. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you, Madge. All right, and uh, we've got some interesting little uh, beep going, but we'll try and get rid of it in just a moment. Also with me in the studio is Marcy Sindel. She is the Chief External Affairs Officer for Harvard Vanguard and Atrius Health. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you. And it's a great uh, pleasure to welcome back Dr. Tony DeJoya. He's here as well. He's an orthopedic surgeon and medical director of the Bone and Joint Center at McGee Women's Hospital and patient and family care centered care partners at the Innovation Center at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC. Welcome, Tony. 
Thank you. All right. A reminder, by the way, that everybody's info, in addition, if you're logged on on the computer, and John oh, did such a great job. See, he, he showed where everybody was on the map, which I really appreciate. Um, but there's uh, more extensive bios for everybody on IHI.org. Okay. Uh, let me see who, or go around the horn and see who else is with us. Alita Chase is joining us from California, I think. She's the senior I vice am. Oh, great. Yay. She's the senior vice president for Medicare Clinical Operations and Population Care for Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, Inc., and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals. Welcome, Alita. Thank you. Okay, great. Patricia McDonald is vice president for the Technology and Manufacturing Group and director of the Product Health Enhancement Organization for Intel Corporation. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. Okay, fantastic. All right, uh, let's see who else we've got here. Her story, Patricia's, is intertwined with the one Diane Miller is going to share with us. Diane is vice president at the Virginia Mason Medical Center and executive director of the Virginia Mason Institute. Once upon a time, Diane worked with us here at IHI directly. Welcome, Diane. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're here. Rebecca Ramsey is on the line from Oregon. She's the Director and Care Support Manager for Care Oregon. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks, Matt. All right, great. And finally, welcome to Dr. Brian Rank. He's the Medical Director for Health Partners Medical Group, Health Partners, Inc. in Minnesota. Hello. Hi, Matt. All right, great. You're all here. All right, does it feel a bit like a book party? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have cocktails, nor do I have cheese and crackers, uh, but you, you're feel free to uh, amend your own events in that way. So I'm going to start, uh, while we're uh, waiting for Maureen to join, Charlie, I ticked off a lot of names and titles. You, you lucky guy, have spent a lot of time with the people and the places and the issues they care about. So give us some sense of what the organizational leaders that you met um, and sort of the places, what do they all have in common, do you think? Well, thanks, Madge. Um, This is very exciting for Maureen and for me. Um, And I think one of the things that came through to me most powerfully in writing the book, and, and, and maybe it's the single most important lesson or important takeaway for me, is that the people who we write about in these organizations and uh, some of whom are, are joining us today. Um, uh, the, 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 the people constitute what I think of as this immensely powerful force of nature out there today. And I think it is maybe unique in healthcare history that this force of nature has kind of come together at this time when it's so urgently needed. And when you think about the people who are joining us today and the organizations they represent and their co- colleagues at those organizations, they, they share some characteristics that, to me, uh, make up this very powerful force of nature. Uh, one is the sort of cultural, uh, very attractive cultural act, attribute in healthcare of selflessness. Uh, we encountered so many people in the course of writing this book who are into doing what they're doing because they want to make things better. Uh, and that the purity of that drive is, is so attractive and so appealing. The second thing is their tremendous passion for their patients. And, and this is true certainly of, of uh, physicians and nurses, and, but it's also true of, of so many administrators that we dealt with at these organizations. The passion to, to make things better for patients is incredible. When you add to that the immense brain power that exists out there in healthcare, 
you know, experience and intelligence and this innovative impulse that they have, those characteristics to me, you know, brought together create this fission and energy out there that I think is a very powerful force. And we, you know, there's no underestimating the challenges that we face. We all know they're really serious and really difficult. And um, there'll be lots of difficult days ahead. There'll be lots of uh, a, a trial and error. But uh, I think anybody who underestimates the power of this large and growing force of nature out there is is making a mistake. I think it's one of the most appealing and uh, exciting uh, things that's happening in healthcare today and and a wonderful reason for optimism, I think. Thanks, uh, Charlie Kenny, co-author of Pursuing the Triple Aim. I want to ask you one other uh, quick question, Charlie. You said to me in an interview that we actually captured, we've got it on IHI.org in video form and also text, you said that um, at some level you wish policymakers were really listening, um, that whatever they're paying attention to, they maybe are not paying enough attention to this. What would it mean if they were paying attention, do you think? Well, I, I think to me that that's one of the greatest disconnects that uh, exists today in healthcare, and it's deeply unfortunate because when Maureen and I would go out to various organizations in the course of writing this book, whether it was to see Dr. DeJoya in Pittsburgh or to see Pat McDonald in, in Portland, Oregon, and the incredible work she does, or to see Dr. Rankin uh, in Minnesota, uh, we would come back with a very clear sense that a, a very thoughtful, intelligent conversation was taking place, important innovation was taking place at the front lines of care. When you then listen to the national debate about health care, the disconnect is staggering. Uh, it is it is at its best generally unhelpful and at its worst, as we all know, toxic. I think policymakers need to go out to these organizations and spend a little bit of time seeing the work that's being done. And I think if they did that, you would fundamentally change the nature of the debate. If you had elected officials go to uh, Atreus Health with Marcy Sindel and walk around and see what they're doing and talk to the people there, the nature of the debate would change. And, and that, to me, is very frustrating. And, and listening to the political debate, particularly, is, is, is difficult. Well, maybe there are uh, some people uh, listening uh, from Washington, and we certainly know there are exceptions to that rule, but that's a good point, uh, Charlie. I want to take this uh, a moment to welcome George Kerwin to the program. He's the president and CEO of Bell & Health in Wisconsin. Welcome, George. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I bet you are. <laughs> I know. It's it's sometimes hard to connect all the wires, but you're here. That's great. We're, we're thrilled. Yeah. Okay, so um, let me do this. Uh, George, I've kind of put you on the uh, hot seat because I'm going to make you go first. I'm going to do a couple sure. of round robins uh, with a couple of sets of questions, uh, and at some point Maureen will jump in when, when she gets on board. And um, I've I've done this really annoying thing, which is that I've asked everybody to be really succinct. That's so by quarter, excuse me, quarter to three Eastern time, we're going to break things open for your questions and comments and chat uh, so we don't just dominate and we find out what's on your minds. So, George, you're my, you're my first one, and I really, the first question is kind of a descriptive one. It's your elevator speech, I guess. So what's the focus of what you've been doing at Bellin that fits within this triple aim framework? I guess, what are you trying to change? And what are some of the most notable impacts or results you've had this thus far? And welcome again to WIHI. 
Well, a little bit of background. We're uh, located in, in Wisconsin in the northeast quadrant of, of the state. We serve a population of 600,000 people in Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, we, uh, we've really um, advanced in triple aim after having uh, faced a crisis ourselves about 10 years ago that is described in the book. It was a, uh, a crisis of um, pretty significant uh, proportion that caused us to look at our organization, try to become more efficient. And in, in that process, we uh, zeroed in on our employees and on our own health plan. And, and this is uh, 10 or 11 years ago when, when this happened. And what we discovered is we didn't really know that much about our employees and our health, other than and the health of the employees, other than we were spending a lot of money and the increases in overall premium costs were just uh, escalating beyond beyond control for our own employees. And that led us down a journey of of uh, trying to experiment with our own employees, trying to understand more about their health, about how to better manage their health uh, and how to lower our overall cost of that of that premium and and uh, we learned a lot uh, the first year or two we learned a great deal and we learned that we could impact the health of the employees and we could impact uh, the cost of that of that benefit and that led us to um, realizing that we could apply that same thinking to others in the market to other employers in the market who were suffering from the same uh, same problems. Fifty four percent of that six hundred thousand people in our particular market, fifty four percent of that population receives a health benefit through an employer. So we had um, we had a huge audience experiencing the same problems that we had, uh, and we went out and began to aggressively work with them to help them understand the health of their employees to uh, make sure that their employees understood the importance of their health and the, and the cost of that benefit to the employer and to begin to put in place uh, a number of initiatives that ultimately um, have proven to be very, very effective. So that's a little bit of our story. We learned on ourselves, applied that same learning to a significant part of the population uh, that was receiving their benefits through an employer and, and have had great uh, success. Thank you so much, George Kerwin from Bell and & Health. And um, because there's so much richness, and um, I've now really read the book, I can swear to it, Charlie, and I'm not just saying this to, you know, um, cozy up to you here. I've now read it twice, and I think... Um, Charlie and Maureen captured, I think, some wonderful details. You sort of understand, really, how they, one got from A to B to C, and I think that's that's just invaluable. So I'm not in any way here to push the book on anyone, but I do think if there's a degree to which you or some of the people you work with don't quite understand how how change happens sometimes and sort of what it means to take an idea and begin to jump in somewhere. I, I do think that this book lays it out in a very, very accessible uh, way. Uh, George, thank you. We're going to turn to Tony next, but let's uh, – by the way, is it, so is Maureen with us? Yes. 
I'm here. Oh, yay. <laughs> How are things in the state of Washington? <laughs> um, Wonderful. One, I'm uh, yeah. um, with the leaders and board members from hospitals across the state, and uh, I see great things happening here. Fantastic. Well, uh, let's uh, well let's do this, Maureen. Um, we're gonna we're sort of doing the round robin here of finding out sort of everyone's kind of nice uh, boilerplate story. But why don't you just jump in very very quickly? I asked Charlie that sort of broad question about um, the meaning of this book, but um, tell us why writing this book was important to you. Well, I um, I wanted to partner with Charlie on this book for two reasons. One is that I have the wonderful joy of seeing organizations around the world who are doing, I, I, I call it visionary or um, out of the ordinary uh, kinds of improvements like what George just described at Bellin. Faced with a, a financial problem, he turns to look at the health of his employees. That's not the normal course. And what you find in each one of the chapters is that people are faced with the same kind of chaos that exists across the country right now, but they took unusual steps. They took a, a different pathway. And in the book, I, I kind of outline a couple of questions that I will often ask in, in, in a visit to a hospital or a clinic. The first one is, do you know how good you are? And these people all answered that question in a very different way. The second one is, do you know where you stand relative to the best? And they are constantly seeking some new ways to learn. It's not only where do I stand, it's where do others stand and how do I create learning. The third one is, do you know where your variation is? Because there's so much power and improvement potential in variation. And the fourth is looking at their data over time. And what what Charlie and I found in, in surveying the country is that these unusual answers to those very common questions um, we thought was worth sharing. May I ask you why, um, my, my understanding as we've talked about it is you felt that this was a particularly important book right now. Why is that? Well, so many people when I'm out in the field are telling me that they're feeling discouraged or they're feeling confused. Um, they, they're watching Washington. They're watching um, new opportunities come out of the CMS Innovation Institute. They're watching state initiatives and local changes. And it's really a difficult challenge to look at how do I improve quality dramatically? How do I work on health when most healthcare systems haven't had health on their radar at all? And how do I work on cost and put all of those things together? When I was a hospital CEO, uh, I had the luxury of working on one of those. Um, many hospitals will tell me that they could take on two, but it's a rare organization that is finding the solutions in all three, and yet they're out there. And so I wanted for people to know whether you're a solo physician like Tony, who'll speak next, or you're a hospital CEO like George, who just shared, um, that there are answers out there and that I see solutions at a local level that will help us to cross the bridges that we need to build. That's great. Thank you so more, much, Maureen. I'm really glad you're here and, and hope you can stick around uh, for for a little longer. Let me now turn next to Tony DeJoya um, and uh, your work at UPMC, um, which has been so grounded in uh, patient-centered care, uh, sort of springing from the world of orthopedics, which you know 
know well. And it just seemed as though every day that you were working on this, the significance and the meaning of what was possible here uh, has grown. So t- tell us how, where, in a nutshell, does this fit into kind of a, a triple aim framework? Well, the PFC, PFCC methodology in practice is really a simple grassroots approach that has the singular goal of delivering exceptional care experiences to patients and families that has the opportunity to transform the way care is delivered. It, uh, it's amazing that we found when you focus on the patients and families' needs that uh, you, you're required to look at things like full cycles of care and communications and transitions of care. But not only can you deliver great care experiences, but you deliver all the things we want to in the triple aim, the best outcomes, the best safety, the best costs, reduce waste. But it all comes because we focus on the needs of the patient and the family. And we found three, three key parts uh, but far and away, the most important is to view all care through the eyes of patients and families at every step of the way. The second is a process code co-design where we actually engage and partner with patients, families, and caregivers to develop new care delivery platforms and to identify problems, test solutions, and implement them, and then operationalize them. And the third and probably the biggest challenge is what we found there, was, there wasn't a methodology to give caregivers and organizations to go from their current state to what we call the ideal state. And although we're presented with a lot of ideals, we're not, we don't present caregivers with the tools. So what we found is that you needed a methodology to go from your current state and your positions to go to, the, to that ideal. And that's what the methodology addresses. Initially, it was in orthopedics and our experience, but with UPMC's help as a platform, uh, we've expanded to over 43 different care, different care experiences from as diverse as level one trauma care, from uh, women's cancer care to children's to bariatrics and to eight different hospitals. And recently, with IHI's help, it's now been adopted by several hospitals in the United States and Europe. So we, we simply think that by focusing on the patients and families and engaging patients, families, and the caregivers, this has the potential for truly being a new operating system for healthcare, which is really what we need now. Okay, thank you so much, Tony DeJoy, and in a very important part of the the health care and health piece of the triple aim. Let me move now over to Rebecca Ramsey uh, out in Oregon uh, with Care Oregon. Rebecca, again, this very um, unenviable task of kind of the short version of what you've been up to and uh, perhaps uh, the impact you felt you've had in this triple aim space. Sure. So, yeah. I'll do my best. Yes, right. <laughs> Care Oregon was um, asked to be a participant in the first wave of the AAA initiative back in 2007. Even though we're a very small, relatively small Medicaid health plan um, in the misty forests of Oregon, and I think the reason why IHI was was interested. Um, and paying attention to Care Oregon is around our mission and our early successes in integrating traditionally siloed services around a very disadvantaged population. And that, that really remains a critical focus for us. You know, as, as, as similar to Bellin, Care Oregon um, also in our history has 
uh, a crisis point, and it's it's also um, talked about in the book. Um, for us, it was during the last recession around 2002, 2003, and and we really took a critical look at our um, at our business processes and our mission. And I think you know the soundbite there is we recognized that there was a huge business case for quality. Um, and so we started down a path of really enhancing, um, expanding, and integrated, integrating services as much as possible around this uh, Medi- Medicaid population. In terms of impact, I think I would point right now to the fact that we are one of the founding partners of a regional CCO. That's uh, Oregon's um, rogue term for an ACO. It's it's a coordinated care organization is what we call it. Mm. For the Medicaid population, um, and it's, it's an entity that will collaborate across traditionally competitive lines to improve health and cut costs for this population, primarily by transforming the delivery system and creating an outcome-based payment strategy. And, you know, this is happening in part because Care Oregon has built a positive reputation in our community of collaboration, innovation, and, and execution. So informed by our past experience working on community integration, we're not creating the CCO as this, you know, central, top-down, you know, bureaucratic organization, but rather as an entity that encourages everyone, all of the partners, all of the delivery system partners, all of the health plans to become integrators as well. Thank you very much. Uh, I I think that sort of sets the table nicely, and we'll come back to you uh, with some questions. Thanks so much, Rebecca Ramsey. Diane Miller, I'm going to go to you and then Patricia McDonald because your stories are intertwined uh, in the book. Um, So Virginia Mason Medical Center, familiar to many, as is Intel, I should dare say. So um, let's start with you, Diane. Um, You've got a kind of story in a nutshell here in terms of your triple aim journey. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Um, Well, our journey began in 2004 uh, when we began working with employers, much like George described earlier, uh, a crisis of saying that perhaps we were more costly care delivery system and and risk losing um, a, a contract, and so we began thinking of using our methodology, the Virginia Mason Production System, think about who's the customer and helping them define value. So we launched our first collaborative, as I said, back in uh, 2004, where we brought together the major self-funded employers and payers as well as our providers to really define value and quality. And we are addressing the population, again, as they are at Bellin in the employed population, so the population of workers. And what we um, did is that we developed our our evidence-based and same-day access protocols um, with those areas that are most important and highest cost, high-volume areas of employed uh, population headaches and low back pain as our examples. Uh, We've moved into broader initiatives with our employers as well in intensive primary care and chronic health conditions like diabetes. But these collaboratives have resulted in same-day access, high patient satisfaction, double-digit increases in volume for our, our, uh, our providers as well as margins, and double-digit decreases in the 
of FTEs per unit of care and a reduction of total health spend for the employers. On the, following on the success of these in the Seattle market area, uh, we began to uh, be approached by Intel to see if we could help them spread this great work in their market in the Portland area. So that's where I'll turn it over to Pat. Thanks so much, Diane. So, Pat, you uh, had you ever heard of uh, Virginia Mason Medical Center before or quality improvement <laughs> before you got engaged? Um, I had not heard of Virginia Mason Medical Center before. Actually, I started my own lean journey at that point. I was a, a plant manager for one of Intel's manufacturing facilities, and I had um, toured Virginia Mason as they were the recipient of the Pacific Northwest Shingo Award, mm-hmm. and then gone off and believed that if they had the courage to apply lean to the care of humans, then I should have the courage to apply lean to my most complex business and quality issues within my factory. Those efforts ended up yielding um, phenomenal breakthrough results within the engineering and manufacturing world, and then I got invited as a result of that to be a part of a corporate strategic discussion in the 2000-2008-2009 timeframe where we looked at our healthcare spending and we saw what many of you have seen, double-digit growth in spending that was leading to approximately a billion dollar spend, which for Intel is, is a lot of money. That's equivalent to you know, outfitting or retooling one of our factories or investing in the next generation of technology. And we said we looked at our employees and the feedback we were receiving from them, and they were being impacted by not having access and not receiving the quality they were expecting. So our motivation was to curtail that year-on-year double-digit growth to improve the quality and access of health care for our employees, their families, and the members of the communities in which we live and work. So I put forward the hypothesis of why don't we see if we can replicate what Virginia Mason has done in the Seattle marketplace in Portland. And so we started with a small pilot in Portland, Oregon, and it includes Providence Medical <coughs> services, Tuolity, community hospitals, and most recently our on-site clinics run by Take Care. And we focus, like um, Diane and Dr. DeJoya talked about, we focus on standardization using standard lean-oriented engineering systems that we've had success within Intel in terms of improving quality reaching zero defects, and also scaling that, being able to transfer that from location to location and provider to provider. So we've worked with Virginia Mason and the uh, three provider systems locally to implement the various clinical standards, and we've been able to show with our data greater than 98% uh, patient satisfaction greater than 95% same-day access, and the use of evidence-based medicine at greater than 90%. We've also applied this engineering systems approach to 
business operations to really improve the capacity and the quality of the care delivered within local clinics. And I think this is one of the, the biggest benefits to the innovative thinking. Yes, we went in it thinking about how do we get better quality and better access for our employees and their families. We rapidly recognize that our tools, our quality capability can be applied to their business operation systems. And that's where I think the real, the real payback for the communities is. By applying the business operations value streams, we've been able to improve the capacity of one of the local emergency rooms and reduce their wait time so they've hit their ben benchmark goals of less than 30 minutes of waiting, less than 1% leaving their emergency delivery room and less than 150 minutes of total time in their emergency room. Wow. Well, the that, other okay, sorry, one go ahead. that I'm even more, yeah. um, more proud of, it makes me just feel good. So this is back to some of Charlie and Maureen's comments. Yeah. And why, people ask me, why are you doing this work? This isn't my full-time job. I have another, a completely different full-time job within Intel. Why do you do this? Well, because... When I go home at night, I know that by implementing our engineering systems approach to improve quality, that we have been able to improve the capacity of getting patients who are uninsured or underinsured their medication at their first interaction with the medical assistance process, we've been able to double that number. It was at 2,000 people. It's now at 2,500. Mm -hmm. And those are folks that if they don't get their medicine within that first 11 days, they're going to have a tragic event. And so that, I don't know, that is the, the motivation. I gave you the business motivation. <laughs> But as a leader, yeah. that's what keeps me going. Well, thank you, Patricia. Stories that's, like that and improving right. the care for all in the community. Well, it's fabulous uh, to, to hear your your story and some of the highlights there and sort of the very interesting dynamic and synergy that's going on in terms of methods and strategy kind of coming from healthcare and business and back and forth and lean uh, applying overall. Um, all right, we're, we're still moving around. Don't, don't uh, despair here. Brian Rank, Dr. Brian Rank from Health Partners, Inc., welcome again. And uh, kind of a, a short version, if you can. Uh, I, I, I hate cracking the whip on everyone, but I do want to make sure uh, that we at least get one more round robin in before we go to questions. So what would you highlight about Health Partners and what it's been up to with the Triple Aim? Thank you. Thanks, Madge. Um, I'll be brief. Um, I, this has been a 10-year journey for us. Um, this starts for us. Uh, Health Partners is an organization that has... Today, 800 physicians working in an integrated um, medical group in four hospitals and uh, care for about a half a million people. We also have a health plan that insures about 1.4 million people. And about uh, two-thirds of our patients are insured by health partners and the rest are government payer or other payers. Um, our journey began with, I, I think, probably sitting at Don Berwick's escape fire uh, plenary session talk at IHI in 1999. And the inspiration for, uh, for 
systematic improvement in care came from that, uh, followed by the publication of the Crossing the Quality Chasm, which for us was, was a wonderful roadmap for, uh, for transformation. Um, after that, uh, Robert Wood Johnson and IHI actually put a, a $30 million RFP out called Pursuing Perfection in which we were able to work with organizations uh, around the country and a number from other countries uh, in a collaborative understanding how to create chassis change in, um, in healthcare, moving from the acute care chassis to a chronic disease management or condition neutral um, uh, uh, chassis of, of transformational change based on patient centricity. And I, I think what we've learned over the years is, uh, is embodied in the last part of the chapter there is that you have to have a culture change in terms of both clinicians and teams and organization, um, but also be able to engineer care based upon uh, the patient's perspective of how their care is delivered. And those engineering principles we, we kind of define as a, a standardizing to the science, customizing to the patient, um, creating access, including both uh, uh, same-day access to online access to virtual care through the Internet, followed by coordination across all sites of care. And using those engineering principles along with transparency of, uh, of quality, patient experience, and cost metrics, um, we have been on a journey for 10 years. We, uh, we truly believe in the triple aim. It's ingrained in our, our, our board is our, our members. And so uh, our, our patient centricity starts from the top. Um, the, uh, uh, and, and the guidance and shaping by the board has been really a critical piece to this. Um, what we're, I think we're most proud of is when you look at across multiple uh, conditions, we measure cost of care, we measure and, and help our teams get better at cost of care. Um, we've moved our diabetes numbers in a, in a um, uh, optimal diabetes number from about uh, 9% seven years ago to um, virtually 45% uh, of our patients are have their A1C under seven, LDL under 100, not smoking on aspirin and blood pressure controlled. And um, we have measured uh, improvements in health and improvements in cost in that. We use databases from both an EMR and our claims database to guide us on, on uh, metrics. And uh, we truly believe that by, by organizing our information and work, in ways that focus on the patient, that we can hit the triple aim. We, we know that there's still great waste in the system, that we still cost too much. But even over the last eight years, our fee schedule has, has increased only uh, less than 0.5% per year. And so we know that, uh, that we can care better. Um, I, I think the other issue is that we trust our team. At that part of that culture is creating a venue in which teams can bring their best to the table and that we can spread it through multiple teams throughout the organization, and that's a cultural issue for us. Thank you. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I will uh, I will leave it at that. Okay. 
It's all good stuff, and um, I, I'm, I'm asking the impossible, and uh, so I, I appreciate people bearing with me and bearing with all of us as we just get kind of a flavor. Um, in some sense, that's why Charlie and Maureen decided to write a book, because there are a lot of details here and uh, a lot of things that need to be filled in. So I'm just trying to give people a sense, and I'm just so thrilled that everyone is here. All right, I'm going to move just across the microphone uh, before I go out to California and Alita. Marcy Sindel is here from the great state of Massachusetts, which uh, in its own way uh, continues to kind of push the envelope. And Marcy's going to give us just uh, a snap snapshot sense of what it's meant with this alternative quality contract. Marcy, welcome. Hi, thank you. So um, Atrius Health with uh, 1,100 physicians we think is the largest multi-specialty physician group that's independent of a hospital or health plan in the United States. We have um, six medical groups that serve a million pediatric and adult patients in uh, eastern and central Massachusetts. And um, our history really is an important part of our story around the triple aim. Uh, Berwick actually started as a pediatrician at Harvard Community Health Plan, which is the doctor's side of uh, Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, the largest affiliate in Atrius Health. And early on, uh, Harvard Community Health Plan, uh, with its history of prepaid care and managed care, uh, as have all the other groups uh, within Atrius, um, really were able to build an infrastructure that focused on uh, quality, cost, and population. So we had built up. Um, we had an uh, electronic medical record very early in our history. We had um, other supports like clinical pharmacy and case managers and so forth. And um, we had worked for quite a number of years with um, pay for performance contracts. Um, and in ni- 2008, um, Dr. Gene Lindsay became our CEO. And he really encouraged us to start looking at the fact that the historical 8 to 10 percent annual increases that we were seeing um, on the top line were just not sustainable and we couldn't continue to keep increasing cost. And um, he uh, spoke a lot with Cleve Killingsworth at the time of Blue Cross um, who liked to s- uh, speak about overuse, misuse, and underuse. And um, Gene realized that we could fund our improvement by reducing that waste. And that really kicked off for us, I think, the past four years of a renewed focus um, on the triple aim. Um, we've since become one of the 32 pioneer ACOs, um, so another contract that, that's similar in its focus. The, um, the AQC really brought to us, the Alternative Quality Contract, really brought to us a focus on uh, a very distinct set of quality measures and allowed us to um, really get the organization energized in a way that we hadn't been for uh, a number of years, as well as bringing all of the groups together around a common language um, and a common focus in quality. Um, and then uh, the financial aspect really helped us in thinking about this cost objective. Um, So really most notable in our recent efforts, I think, in addition to improvements in our benchmark overall score as part of the alternative quality contract has been um, what we can see in reduction in trends in total medical expenses across not only our commercial population where we've moved from those historical 8 to 10% rates down to uh, 1.5 to 2% growth year 
over year. And um, more notably, in our Medicare population, we've found in Medicare Advantage, we're actually reducing the total cost of care now by about 1%. So it really was the advent of this contract that um, uh, centered, that worked very synergistically with the other things that we wanted to do and, and, uh, and helped us move forward. Thank you so much. Uh, Marcy Sindel, Chief External Affairs uh, Officer for Harvard Vanguard and Atrius Health. Fascinating uh, story there, and it's one that's still in the making. And I think it's also one you were high on right from the start, uh, Charlie. You knew something about it, uh, having also been close to Blue Cross Blue Shield. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was the uh, uh, mission of the Blue Cross Blue Shield folks at the time to try to shift away from fee-for-service and, you know, Marcy's right on the money when she talks about the leadership there, really focusing intensively on on over, under, and misuse. And uh, the leadership there was pretty much a, a, a voice in the wilderness for a long time, but then, as she said, Dr. Lindsay and others got uh, joint forces, and um, the result has been, you know, very exciting, I think. Thank you very much. All right, Alita, there you are, patiently, all the way out on the West Coast, uh, not too far maybe from Maureen in, in California. So can you give us your kind of boilerplate? There's so much as I, I uh, look at I, the KP uh, chapter, so much uh, going on there, but uh, give us your most succinct. <laughs> I know. I feel that um, you're saying bring it on home, Alita, and I will. <laughs> So, uh, just give you a couple quick facts about Kaiser Permanente. Uh, we have uh, 9 million members. We're in nine states. We have 172,000 employees and 16,000 uh, Permanente physicians. So, as you could imagine, when I give those kinds of numbers, um, the chapter that um, we, the, the work that we described was how you do whole system improvement that's at a very large scale. Uh, you build in improvement capability. You create alignment across the system. You create space for innovation and um, also about the power of team-based care. So in the triple aim, I would describe uh, the beginning of the journey, which uh, I just got a 50-year history, so we didn't start at the very, very beginning, but we did start with um, the journey that we took when we executed a system-wide integrated medical record uh, with the notion of uh, an electric um, integrated medical record uh, with having world-class technology. And then um, thinking, if you have that, um, how do you leverage that very, very powerful tool um, to have the people um, move the improvement work across the organization? So on the um, health side, um, I would say that our journey has been moving from not um, just executing very well, which we had historically going from good to great in chronic condition management, but shifting into looking at improving the health of the population into looking at total health and wellness. And so uh, for the sake of time, I won't describe, but we have several examples of how we took on this notion of um, excelling in chronic condition management, but then really, really pushing the envelope across the entire organization 
around, well, what would total health look like and what would it look to prevent disease, diagnose it even earlier, and um, embrace wellness as a concept um, across our organization. In the patient care experience work we've been uh, working on has been around member activation, uh, uh, member engagement, and again, using this very powerful tool um, through um, electronic communications with our healthcare teams and our clinicians, how you then activate members to be fully engaged in their own health. And finally, much like all the other speakers before us, once you have built that improvement capability across an organization and you're starting to spread best practices um, at an accelerated speed, um, the area that we um, really are focusing on, um, similar to my other uh, folks on the phone, is on reducing variation and in the area of um, avoiding redundancies and in uh, eliminating waste. Okay. Wow. <laughs> And it, it's it's uh, great to hear the summary. Thank you very much. You know, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, in the few minutes before we open things up for questions, I'm going to see if I can get a one-liner uh, from from you. I'm just sort of going to go backwards now and go in reverse order, also bring Maureen back in. What would you say is, if, if I can put you on the spot, is either um, one of the most surprising things you've learned on this journey that has perhaps changed your assumptions or uh, was just a game changer overall? Alita? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I was waiting to know whose turn it was. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I'm going to start. I'm going to just uh, keep you right with us now. What would you say has okay. been maybe I'm one of the big... name um, yeah. three surprises really uh, yeah. quickly. Um, one is that our, um, our journey around um, patient safety and eliminating patient harm has been uh, uh, challenging. And so uh, we found that our ability to um, do uh, reliable care in sort of chronic condition management in those areas, we were able to execute on uh, pretty consistently and we continually improve. But, but the patient safety initiatives have been very, very challenging um, because of the complexity of the solution sets. Mm, interesting. Um, the second one I thought you might think is interesting is that we've taken on um, equitable care across our delivery system. We have the capability right now of knowing within our membership about um, the, the care gaps between um, ethnic groups. And um, even though our members in total are, um, we're having higher rates of screening, higher performance around things like HEDIS measures, um, uh, clear up to the top decile, that we still have gaps between large ethnic groups. And so we have, we're actually going after that as this next challenge in our system. And I, I'm really proud about that one. Mm -hmm. I, I, my last one that I would say, and Maureen Bissignano is probably going to chuckle, but we found that um, teaching the improvement capability uh, and growing those skills was um, actually slower 
than we thought it, it was going to take us. Uh, we were always optimistic about the speed with which we could get through um, the improvement cycles. And it has been a learning about the need um, when you're at the scale that we're at to um, really uh, appreciate the time it takes to get it deeply embedded across your culture. Thank you, Alita. Those are very helpful and and interesting and provocative. Maureen, um, I don't know if you are chuckling, but um, I wanted to... I am chuckling. You are chuckling. Okay. (laughs) Just to bring you back in here, and I know you've been listening to everyone, and I guess you're, you're welcome to make any observations about what you've listened to thus far. I'm wondering, though, even in terms of your assumptions as you went on this journey of writing this book, uh, were there some major surprises for you? Well, I, I chuckle about your comment, uh, Alita, because it is true that um, building capability takes time. And yet, as I look back on the Kaiser Permanente journey, I recall uh, George Halverson saying, we don't know five years before healthcare reform is passed, what it's going to look like. So he said, lay the tracks, lay the foundation, so that whatever happens, we'll be able to improve. And that's exactly what Alita's done, is as she's built the um, capability in tens of thousands of people across the system, you track the capability building, and then not too long afterward, you start to track the improvement. Um, I guess the the surprise for me was... um, was how each one of these very different organizations from an integrated system to a a hospital in um, a community to a solo physician um, came to understand that the triple aim was our professional responsibility. That we really couldn't say the health isn't my issue, I'm a caregiver, or cost isn't my worry, I I get paid quite enough, thank you, or um, I'll work on health, but the care system isn't mine. And and each one of these visionary people said, I'll take it on, and I think uh, is leading the way for us to think in a very different way about our professional and moral obligations to integration of the whole of the AAA. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Um, Brian Rank from Health Partners, uh, kind of one, can, can, can you do it in 30 seconds or one minute uh, or, or 30, 45 seconds? Biggest surprise, perhaps, or game changer? But of course. <laughs> uh, I, I think my, my point would be to never underestimate the power of transparency, uh-huh. whether it's individual teams competing with each other, and uh, or across the whole state like Minnesota, bringing data to the table. We have, we have people who are A students, have been that way their whole lives in our teams, and they want to be the best. Um, it's when we don't know that we're not that we, that we think we are. And so the power of transparency on patient, uh, on quality metrics, on, uh, on uh, patient satisfaction metrics, and we do have some national standards on that. I think a, a national standard on total cost of care. I think, Maureen, you asked me at a conference about a year ago what, what would be helpful to know where we are. I think a national standard on total cost of care would be a really, really important thing today. Uh, and uh, I think uh, we uh, don't underestimate the power of transparency would be my point. Thank you so much. Marcy, do you have a, a game-changer right notion or a biggest surprise? 
Sure. I think a, a game changer for us is really um, pick your partners carefully. So for us, um, I think we have absolutely wonderful choices here in Massachusetts. Last year, our patients visited 25 different hospitals where we had more than 100 admissions and 39 different hospitals where we had more than 100 emergency department visits. But we've really learned that we have to collaborate with um, uh, partners in the community if we're going to do a good job on transitions and care across the community. So we've we've uh, made some different choices in some of the hospitals that we work with. We've formed a relationship with a very large uh, VNA uh, network here, and um, we're working as well with um, some of the other pioneers that are in the Boston area to look at how we can do a better job outside of the hospital um, before people get to an emergency room. So I think we're going to find that it's that web that we weave with our community partners that's really going to make a difference for patients across the continuum. Good one. Thank you very much. Patricia McDonald, 30 seconds. I'm getting really strict now. What what would be the biggest game changer or aha moment or sort of uh, assumption changer for you? The biggest surprise is the breakthrough results that seemingly disparate organizations and industries, healthcare and manufacturing, have been able to achieve with all of us working together towards the ideal state of zero defects, improved quality, access, and cost of care for our employees, our families, and the members of our community. Thank you. That's really Truly amazing when everyone gets together and works towards the same big, audacious goal. Neat, neat. Diane, thank you, Patricia. Diane? I think uh, building on the transparency and bringing the right people together in direct conversation about quality all aligns us very quickly around the interests and needs of our patients. Rebecca, any kind of game changer, uh, aha moment for you, surprise? Yeah, I have two, but I can talk fast. Okay. So if we were to do it over again, we would have started with helping our delivery system partners identify the outcomes they were striving for rather than the model they wanted to change. So we would have spent more time on the ends before turning to the means. And concretely, an example of that is, yes, team-based care sounds good, but we found that the teams have to know what sport they're playing and how to score points and that that actually is the place to start. The second one is that um, the key to healthcare transformation in our community in the safety net has been investing in the delivery system in ways that help them build the capacity to be more accountable. Because particularly in primary care and behavioral health care, the way we've been paying for the services has really left them with no adaptive reserve. So if we want them to be more accountable, Um, We need to be able to listen, understand their reality, and co-design the new path forward without telling them what to do. We like to call this bottom-up, top-enabled. Interesting. That's a great one. Thank you. Tony DeJoya. Well, maybe I could start with uh, a negative surprise first. Yeah. Uh, The biggest hurdles to the solutions are us and our organizations. Uh Uh-huh. But on the positive side, the solutions will be us and our organizations, <laughs> but only with our patients and families. So you don't get a pass just because you're an obstacle. you got to stop being an obstacle. <laughs> right. and, and the only right. way we're going to do it is uh, the groups that uh, make the switch to view the care through the eyes of their patients and families and bring in the grassroots caregivers are the ones that develop that sense of urgency to really drive change. 
Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, George Kerwin, we, we uh, practically started with you, uh, but uh, go ahead. Your biggest aha moment or surprise game changer? Well, I would say from, from our standpoint, the importance of uh, the experience of care uh, within the triple aim, we um, did not realize at first. And when we're talking about experience, certainly how patients are treated, both personally and, and clinically, the access, all those kinds of things, but also uh, the importance within that dimension of, of educating the consumer, of, of improving uh, patients and family members, improving their perception of, of health, uh, just overall using that experience of care um, as, a, as an opportunity to really activate patients, family members, uh, the, the population just in general, uh, giving them the knowledge of of their health individually, giving them uh, the resources, ease of access to resources. We spend uh, quite a bit of time in in our chapter talking about uh, an access platform. So that whole concept of the experience yep. that people have, broadly defining that, is uh, something we found very critical. Fascinating. That's really good. Well, that's a really wonderful array, I think. Uh, that's that's the kind of richness represented today. I want to say that uh, Maureen and Charlie had a, a tough time. They chose seven uh, kind of stories to illustrate out of some 70, and that was uh, weaned even from many more, and I'm sure that means some of you who are joining with us today. We're going to now, all right, so uh, my pledge to all of you is that I will continue to get better on time management and just how long it takes for everyone uh, to, to get through even their brief stories. So um, I, I work on that. I don't know how many book parties we'll have, but I promise you uh, we'll, we'll do so. So we're open things up now for real. We see a few questions that have come in. I also want to invite those of you who uh, love chat, who are our guests today. Uh, I don't know uh, if that includes Alita or anyone else who uh, is on the computer. Feel free if you want to chat in some reports replies or comments uh, even along with our guests here. So here's a couple of things that people um, have asked about. Uh, let me go back here. Uh, going back. Blah, 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 blah. Um, Jay was one of uh, the early questioners. He said, it seems like each of the provider organizations faced a near-death experience that catalyzed commitment to change. Uh, in the opinion of the panel, is such an experience necessary, helpful, a coincidence, something else? Um, you know, I, I, it, it certainly can be, um, you know, a provocation for, uh, for getting things going. Does anybody want to talk? Marcy, want to speak to that? Go ahead. I, I think um, we didn't have a near-death experience as we picked up the triple aim. And what I would say is that made it very difficult. It's very hard to tell people who are kind of happy with the way things are going that you're going to rapidly increase their workload and that they have to do uh, very much better. And so we constantly debate whether we need to create a burning platform. But I think we've come to the conclusion that the journey is too long to have a burning platform and that you just have to start the journey and get people motivated about doing that. Thank you. Rebecca, I'm curious because you you were kind of really right at a precipice. Uh, do you feel now that, uh, I mean, knowing what you know now, uh, is, it, is it that kind of uh, threat you think that uh, should be necessary to get things going? I think that it certainly helps. And in our experience, it it, um, it, it enhances speed and collaboration 
And, you know, we've basically had two. We had one near-death experience in 2002 where we had four days cash on hand. And um, to answer two questions in one, we actually had to change the leadership of the organization at that point because we needed a different kind of leadership to get us out of that situation. But more recently, we're in a situation where we, we, we planned better this time. And we actually, I think what's critical is to learn your way through this. So we learned from that experience and we were able to project that we were about to face another similar experience, and but we looked but we looked forward and I anticipated it and started putting things in place earlier on. So we used that learning to um, to create more capacity for innovation and change. And I, the final thing I would say, though, is that from my perspective, we're all in a crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe our organizations don't have right. a single crisis, but we have a healthcare crisis and. You know, 18% GDP, 37th in terms of quality among the developing nations, and we're about to lose the ability to educate our youth because healthcare is is eating education for lunch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think right. that's the crisis. So one one we all share. I'd like to um, – another question that's asked, a few people have asked about the Affordable Care Act – other kinds of initiatives that are out there and what difference they make uh, to the environment we're in and your ability to move forward. Um, does anyone want to take that in on, or if, I don't know if, Charlie, if you even had a sense of that as you moved around? Yeah, uh, the, the, you know, we, there was some discussion during the course of working on the book about the Affordable Care Act, and I certainly welcome Maureen's thought on this, one of the things that became very clear to me when we completed the book was that this force of nature is in motion. It is it is a body in motion, and it is accelerating, and it is getting stronger and more powerful every day, quite apart from the Affordable Care Act. So whether the Supreme Court rules one way or the other is not going to affect materially, in my view, the uh, this innovative impulse and the power of the, the innovation that is happening out there. I think that is happening quite apart from anything that is going on in Washington, D.C. Obviously, there are parts of the Affordable Care Act that are very attractive and would be helpful, for sure. Uh, but I think that this the, the, the people who are out there innovating are the last thing on their mind is, is looking to Washington for guidance or inspiration or anything else. I think a good example of that in Massachusetts is the uh, alternative quality contract now has about 70% of providers on the alternative quality contract, and we have five pioneer ACOs here. So the environment in this state certainly is moving forward regardless of what happens on a national level. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. That's Marcy Sindel. And before her, Charlie. George, I heard you, I believe. George Carwin? Yeah, Midge. And, and, um, you know, I would would, – for what Charlie, what Charlie said, we, um, the industry just in general, uh, really got a boost in terms of information technology. The larger systems were evolving very quickly uh, with their clinical information technology. Many of the other systems were were lagging way behind, and and you know that that movement um, out of Washington, I think overall in the future will be viewed as very positive. And then there are. Uh, a couple of pioneer. We're we're um, uh, moving forward with with the pioneer ACO here, and just to be able to um, to be able to have that type of 
a potential sharing of of the cost side of of this triple aim, uh, giving people good experience and helping to manage their health, but having us be able to share in in the in the positive side of that financially. Uh, is the start of, of movement um, that will continue in, in that direction, and, and that overall is, is very positive, too. Thank you very much. Another question, and there's really a couple that I think pertain to this, which is the ability to bring lots of stakeholders together. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe, Diane, do you, um, out of Virginia Mason, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Maybe you and Pat both... There's a, such sure, a, I, I yeah. can begin that, and, yeah. and I can jump in. I was, um, I, I think that it's uh, bringing the stakeholders that represent the uh, area of concern. In, in our case, it was the employer, uh, self-funded employer, who said we cost too much, although they loved our quality. Um, not that we know now whether they can evaluate the quality, but that was the perception. The payer, who is is facilitating that in that self-funded organization. And then our providers brought them to the conference room together and said, what is quality? What's value? How would you define it? And we uh, spoke to that and then began to use our methodology to really uh, define the clinical care pathway um, according to those five specifications and, and resulted in a shared vision, a shared expectations of what we're producing in terms of quality for their for their employees. Pat, anything you'd add? I agree. The um, I think the alignment can't be underscored enough. The alignment around the higher purpose of, you know, what is the right thing to do? You know, as professionals, as human beings, what is the right thing to do given our resources, our technologies, our tools, and our methodologies, what is the right thing to do in the face of decreasing quality, increasing costs, and reduced access for citizens of the United States for health care? I think it takes that asking that question and getting that alignment around that higher purpose of, you know, better health care, quality, and access for all members of our community in the U.S. And it does take, I think you have to be, someone mentioned you, one of their lessons learned was you have to be a little bit choosy about your partners. I think that they kind of weed themselves out, but there is some truth to that. I mean, it takes a deep leadership commitment. And I think that is as important as the overarching alignment on the higher purpose because this type of change requires leadership it requires perseverance it requires sticking power and you really have to be willing to face uh, the waste and the quality gaps in your own systems and embrace it as an opportunity and really remember the end in mind is better care for the patient and a better more thriving, open access to health care for everyone. Thanks, Pat. Uh, Tony, you had a thought? Yes. Um, as I mentioned before, one of our hurdles is us and our organizations. And as uh, we all know, because we all work in a very siloed uh, uh, system, and when you think about it, uh, the only way to cross all the silos in care is by focusing on the patient. They're the only common denominator throughout the entire system. So one of the uh, 
the efforts that we put into this is you follow the patient through their care experience, and then that's how you build your care teams. And that can start with the parking guy, not the nurse or the registration or the doctor, and that can go all the way up to the CEO of the hospital. But only by looking at the touch points that all those caregivers have can you begin to be bring together the care teams that are really going to drive change. But, again, common denominator, it's only the patient. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Maureen, I wonder if you have um, – Maureen has had to go. Okay, John is giving me the hand signal. We had to let Maureen go. I think she's about to fly home soon. So we'll, we will let her fly home because we want her back. Okay. Well, I have a question. Maybe I'll throw this back uh, out to you, uh, Dr. Brian Rank. And there are some other examples in the book where people got on planes, trains, and automobiles to try and learn from the best, uh, begin to sort of – see what the models were and sort of you got a lot of inspiration from each other and I'm sure Charlie had a sense of that as well. I mean if we had a map here uh, you know on a slide it would be interesting to see who talked to whom uh, in order to to get some of their ideas. Um, I'm curious um, and I don't mean to put Dr. Rank on the spot but uh, start with you. Thoughts that you have about how you, um, where you start. I think there are a number of people who probably are listening on the program today who sort of see that this is kind of, you know, the, the future really is is needed now, um, but exactly where they would get going is not an obvious uh, proposition. Now, you've all of you have been at this for a while, so if you can remember, in a sense, uh, even kind of where, what are some f- sort of early steps one takes? Dr. Rank? Thanks. Um, I, there are a number of organizations around the United States, including IHI as one. Um, the, in our own state, we have the Institute for Clinical Systems Improvement and Minnesota Community Measurement that are largely statewide resources for, for public reporting about who's best at doing what. I think the humility of asking the question of who's better than we are, how can I learn from them, We've spent a lot of time looking around the country, and incidentally, that's why that total cost of care metric is so important, is because we need to know who's better. I would love to know who's better than me at total cost of care, uh, and uh, along with quality metrics. And so those standardizations across the United States, which the Dartmouth Atlas has helped us with uh, to some extent. But I, I think... Uh, whether it's the Group Practice Improvement Network, AMGA, um, a, a number of organizations around the country have many, many uh, people working on very similar things that you can shamelessly steal their work, and they're, will, uh, they're willing to uh, share what they've got and compete on results with, with you. So I, I think there are a number of places, and including looking around at, uh, at, at people who are in this book, and we've had site visits from uh, numerous people over the last three or four years, and we site visit people who we think are better than us at, at doing things. So picking up the phone, calling colleagues, and asking, can you show me what you did to get those results? Well, perhaps a lot of the organizations featured in the books, Charlie, you didn't put in everybody's phone number and email address, but uh, people may be uh, getting on the phone and hoping that they can come visit. 
Yeah, I, I think that's right, Madge, and I think there is a, a more and more of what Dr. Rank is talking about. Uh, and obviously, IHI is a wonderful resource for anybody who wants to figure out maybe the best place to go for the particular challenge they're facing. So let me ask a question of um, I'll, I'll sort of mix it up here. Uh, George Kerwin, I'm kind of curious. Uh, what what's next? What's your next uh, hill to climb? I'm going to sort of mo- move this around, but I'll, I'll pick on you first. <laughs> well, for for us, I, I um, described our a little bit of our market and the fact that uh, we have such a strong percentage of our total population. With the health benefit from from employers, we're uh, we're looking at the other at the other segments um, right now. Medicare, we're pioneer uh, ACO. We are anxious to learn and, and to, to try to apply what we've learned in the commercial population to that population. Uh, so that's going to be important to us. And and similarly, in our state, we have uh, a high percentage of the population has health coverage. But much of that is is uh, through Medicaid, and we want to likewise uh, begin to understand that segment of the population. We feel that the various segments um, have a lot of similarity, but there is some dissimilarity, and uh, we are just we want to get our arms around the entire population, which means we have to do much more work on those on those other segments. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, uh, Marcy. You started to you alluded to that a little bit, but what's kind of the next uh, the next set of uh, challenges or hills? Um, I think one of the areas we're working really hard on now is trying to understand how to best utilize care managers around the risk high risk patients for our Medicare population. That's a big focus area for us, and the whole post acute area and how that fits um, into the care of patients across the continuum. Those are, are two big areas, and practice pattern variation for physicians is another um, big area where we've put uh, an investment into software that's going to help us understand um, condition by condition exactly what our physicians are doing and let them have the discussions about the best ways to practice and really um, try to get some standards of care uh, on as many conditions as possible. Thank you. Alita, what, what sort of uh, always busy at KP, but in, in this space, what would you say are some of the next areas? I think you did talk about disparities in part, but uh, what else? No, I was just texting. I'm a big texter on here, so I was looking at these great <laughs> questions, and I was thinking about um, some specific examples, again, back on that total health and prevention. And so um, uh, these are just some some examples. So we are promoting um, farmers markets in um, all of our um, hospitals and in medical offices in the um, states where we don't um, have hospitals. So this is this idea of what role do healthcare systems or healthcare providers play in helping to support community health by bringing um, healthy produce right into the heart of communities who may not have access to produce. Um, The other one that um, we've been um, very active in is um, working with uh, Michelle Obama and the campaign on reduction of obesity in America. And in our case, we support um, um, Everybody Walks. Um, and it's uh, it's out in, for public use of any of any participant 
um, in the country. It, um, and so we have not only a campaign internally for our own employees with um, walking teams and uh, rewards and celebrations, but also trying to push this type of thinking and these kinds of activities out into the communities so that, again, the health of the community continues to improve um, while we're still, um, you know, delivering inpatient care and all the uh, acute things and chronic condition management that needs to happen. So I, I think that that's been some of our most innovative work is starting to push that envelope of how we historically define, defined the work that delivery systems thought considered their work into these new um, new pools, new new ways of thinking about um, health care as total health rather than illness management. Okay, thank you. You know, I'm looking at the clock, and I do see that we're heading close to 3.30. And for those of you who did stick around for uh, the uh, f- final half hour, I'm very, very appreciative. If um, Pat and Diane and uh, George uh, Kerwin and any uh, Rebecca, if you even have a moment to sort of chat in anything about kind of your next uh, challenges, that would be great, uh, great for all of us. Uh, Tony, just very quickly. I'm just going to sort of tap uh, one more person here in the studio, and maybe the rest of you could chat in. Tony? Well, as I mentioned in opening statement, uh, it appears to be time for a new operating system in healthcare, and uh, things are coming together where the environment will allow truly transformational change. Uh, So we're not looking just at incremental changes any longer. And uh, we really think that we need to develop a patient family centered care community of practice to push that along so that we can all learn from each other and learn not only from each other, but our, what we can go in our local situations to the ideal. Okay, thank you very much. Well, here's what I want to say. You guys have been great, uh, all of you. First of all, all my guests, the staff here working with me on WIHI, all the participants today. This was our first ever book party. Um, a wonderful, uh, really, compilation of some very, very important stories. And I just have no doubt that you could pick up on any number of really, really interesting ideas of, from this book. And we hope this, this WIHI, the special edition, gave you some. Now, the concept of better health, better health care, and lower per capita cost is a galvanizing principle for health system improvement, as we've been discussing. And uh, we now have a kind of new phase of the IHI Triple AIM Improvement Community that's beginning this September. There's some info calls that are coming up May 31st or June 12th, and we'd love you to learn more about where are we in this journey here at IHI, uh, kind of where it all began with the Triple AIM and the Triple AIM Initiative and we'd love to tell you about the next wave of programming. So um, check that out on IHI.org. Now I want to do all my thanks to Maureen Bisignano, to Charlie Kenny for working on this book for the last year and change, year and a half, Charlie, two years, something like that? Yeah, about a year and a half. A year and a half, okay. <laughs> to Alita Chase, to Tony DeJoya, George Kerwin, Patricia McDonald, Diane Miller. We had Rebecca Ramsey with us as well, Dr. Brian Rank, and Marcy Sindel. 
and I am immensely grateful. Uh, it's hard to imagine sometimes everything that goes uh, into planning something like this behind the scenes, uh, but people gave a lot of their time on the phone and email. Our discussion can continue after the show on IHI's Facebook page. Jane Rossner, who's been listening in, is going to kind of uh, put down some quick comments and observations, things that she took away from the program. Again, tomorrow morning we'll have a link to uh, the audio to this program and all the resources. Next up on WIHI, because we come back in two weeks, we're going to be looking at choosing wisely. I'm calling this show Testing Testing. Is this procedure necessary? Uh, this has to do with overuse of perhaps some of the most expensive diagnostics and procedures, a fascinating campaign that's underway by ABIM Foundation. We hope you'll tune in for that. A reminder that when you log off the program, you can download the chat and any of the slides, nice bios. John made some nice ones with maps on them. And uh, we do always appreciate it if you could just take a moment to fill out a brief survey that pops up so we can continue to make the program better. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse. Rachel Yates helps, helps us out. She's our Northeastern co-op. I want to say, as I always do, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. On behalf of the Triple AIM, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day. <laughs>